Hello, everybody, and welcome to the American Shoreline Podcast. My name is Peter Ravel. I'm the co-host of this show. And my name's Tyler Buckingham. I'm, I am the other co-host of the show. Well, the big wrap-up here on uh, the International Ocean Film Festival, we put up a lot of content last week, Tyler. We uh, put up four interviews, I think, with the filmmakers. And this week, we get to talk about some of the great people we met who were there attending as coastal professionals. And so we've got a great week ahead. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, definitely one of the highlights of, of attending this thing, in addition to seeing all the films and meeting the artists and being a part of that community, was meeting these incredible scientists and uh, public servants who, who manage our, our uh, the bay front. We met with, of course, we've already put up the, uh, the San Francisco uh, port director's interview, uh, which was really great. That was with Elaine Forbes. Right. Um, and uh, we met a number of other interesting people. It seemed like everywhere we turned, there was some fascinating person and we needed to sit down and interview. And uh, for today's show, we've got a very special interview cooked up. We do. Uh, two guests. This was a joint interview that Tyler and I have, were fortunate enough to sit down uh, with David McGuire, who's the executive director of an organization called Shark Stewards. And you can find them at sharkstewards.org on the Internet. But David leads an organization that is an international shark conservation uh organization they work all over the world uh in their own backyard on great white sharks but also uh, species all over the world he's on his way to uh i believe he's on his way to borneo soon so david's a great guy he led the panel he's on the board of the film festival he's a dolphin uh he actually Remember the, the, the rap pardon uh the rap party on the final night of the festival which was a great thing we went to the the famous, iconic San Francisco Dolphin Club, which is an old school rowing and swimming club in the Bay. I mean, it just drips with old history, old photographs, old names everywhere. These boats were amazing. He was our in. He is a member, and uh, he actually he swims in the bay. No wetsuits allowed in the Dolphin Club. Nope, and uh, in a regular swimmer out to Alcatraz yeah. and back. So it's not true that they couldn't have escaped. He told, he told us personally, you can get out there and back. He does it all the time. Absolutely. But great guy. Really great guy. And led the shark uh, film segment on f Saturday night, which is one of the most popular nights at the film festival, and also led a panel on shark conservation uh, during the event, which was not a tech, really a film panel. It was about shark conservation and shark biology, a really totally. great panel. So this, this guy, we, we had a great time sitting down with him. And uh, he, he was joined, he was, he, he, was, he was, boy, then we had somebody from the Greater Fairlands National uh, Marine Sanctuary. Right. The executive director. The superintendent of the Greater Farallons yeah. National Marine Sanctuary, Maria Brown, Maria. joined us on the interview, and she was amazing. She oversees a massive piece of uh, submerged and island land out uh, off the shore, just north of the bay, and it happens to be an incredibly rich habitat, including... Uh, uh, having resident white sharks, which uh, was the subject of a of at least I think two films we saw. We saw yeah. Beach Watch and we saw uh, the Close Encounter one. I'm blanking on the name, but uh, man, these were just amazing films. 
and it's called near miss near miss god that was a yeah, great movie good, peter good film um yeah but she she joined us and she oversees the actual management of this land she's in charge she's the head honcho so what yeah. a great resource to have at the table she was great the uh, fairlands national marine sanctuary three thousand almost three thousand three hundred square miles and a you know, a, an area that is managed for public education, recreational access, and some commercial use. And they really balance that well. So we, uh, we hang around and listen to uh, what Maria tells us about the Fairlawns uh, Sanctuary area and David McGuire on shark conservation. Two great folks on this show coming up right now. And before we uh, get to the show, Peter, let's hear a quick word from our sponsors. Indeed. Uh, thank you very much to Dune Doctors, who continues to be a sponsor of the American Shoreline Podcast Network and all of our shows, dunedoctors.com out of Pensacola, Florida. Y'all know her, Frederick Barrissette and her team, excellent folks, professionals on shoreline restoration and management. And welcoming a new uh, partner, Peter, we've got Coastal Engineering Consultants. Yep. Uh, where are they out of in Florida? Help me out here. They're out of Naples. That's right. They're out of Naples. And our good friend, Michael Poff, heads up this organization, yep. a sterling coastal engineering firm. And we are thrilled to have them uh, join the ASPN yep. sponsor family. You can learn more about uh, coastal engineering consultants and uh, Michael Poff's work at coastalengineering.com. What a good what a good website name that is. <laughs> That's right. The other sponsor we have, uh, led uh, by our good friend Bill Worsham in the Coastal Engineering Division of LJA Engineering, with 28 offices in Texas and on the Gulf of Mexico. Another very fine coastal engineering firm. They do good work. Find them at LJA.com. And we've got TI Coastal Services from Wilmington, North Carolina, a great coastal engineering firm there on the Carolina coast. Anything from waterway management, building a groin, managing and eroding uh, shoreline, dune restoration, they can do it all. They're really great. They're in the community. Uh, they are uh, TICoastal.com. And uh, we are back at the International Oceans Film Festival in Fort Mason, uh, San Francisco, one of the great cities on the American shoreline, and are joined by a couple very special guests that we just rounded up from a great panel discussion on sharks. Uh, David McGuire is the executive director of Shark Stewards organization, uh, which is dedicated to the conservation of sharks around the world and has been doing this for a couple of decades. And we're also joined by Maria Brown, who is the, uh, the superintendent of the Greater Fairlands National Marine Sanctuary, which is just offshore from San Francisco here, one of the, one of the real treasures of the national sanctuary system. Uh, so thank you. Welcome both uh, to the American Shoreline Podcast. Thank you. Thank you. Great to be here. It's so cool to have you guys here. Uh, you know, let's just start with a little bit about this awesome resource that we have right offshore and talk about what it is, how big it is, and kind of for, for those members of our audience that aren't familiar with this area, this it's kind of a hidden gem out there, you know? Describe it to them. Yeah, the Greater Farallons National Marine Sanctuary is a hidden gem. Most people don't realize that it's one of the most biologically productive ocean areas in the entire world, right offshore San Francisco. So we have millions of people living right next to millions of animals. Um, the sanctuary is 
3,200 uh, square miles, so it's, it's fairly large, and wow. it extends from um, Mendocino County offshore of San Mateo County and then out a maximum of 50 miles. And part of that, um, the jewel, is the Farallon Islands right in the middle, which is home to the largest colony of breeding seabirds in the continental United States. Oh, wow, I didn't know that. So, so looking at those islands, the photography of the islands, and, and we have, well, we're going to start talking about a film here in a second, but uh, we've been seeing some great footage uh, both below the water, around the islands, and above the water, drone photography mostly of the islands themselves. But I wonder, they are jagged, they are rocky, are they volcanic? They are granite. They're granite. They're granite on the Pacific plate and hmm. um, San Francisco, we're over here on the North American plate. Huh. Um, and it's granite that came up from Southern California. They believe part of the Sierra Nevada range. And they've just been what? slowly making their way up the coast. That is incredible. It's a dynamic planet. And I understand there is a rather uh, large population of white sharks in this sanctuary and one of the uh, breeding, I guess, biggest breeding populations. Is that right? Or I may not quite, I'm not sure I got that right. Well, white sharks are one of our iconic species, and we have one of the largest populations of um, sub-adult and adult white sharks in the world, right offshore. And they come because, you know, we love our food here, and um, they have lots of food to eat. Right. Elephant seals, as I understand. Elephant seals. They're yeah. nice, big, and fatty. Yeah, they are. <laughs> um, and we, and David, your work with uh, shark stewards, uh, I would take it that this is an area you've spent some time in over the decades. And tell us about the organization, what you do, and your connection with uh, the Farallons. Well, shark stewards is dedicated to restoring ocean health by protecting sharks from overfishing, and particularly the shark fin trade globally. Uh, and as well as protecting critical marine habitats. So through marine protected areas, through shark sanctuaries, and helping maintain and educate and celebrate our national marine sanctuaries and marine monuments. And we, we were just uh, able to sit through a really great panel discussion here at the festival on sharks. Uh, it was a five, I think five or six people, a lot of different perspectives on these creatures. And, uh, and I think the if I might just interrupt, yeah, and this was immediately on the heels of a sold out theater uh, for the shark uh, program. So and, and this I understand how many years have you been kind of doing this, this? Is 13 uh, and all sharks, which but there was a little bit of resistance at the beginning. <laughs> and uh, I had a film that I'd produced after sailing in the South Pacific and learning about shark finning and actually seeing it and documenting it. And we used the film we wanted to advocate, because I'm an, I'm an activist. At the time, I was still working at UC Berkeley. But uh, I really wanted to use the film to leverage action. And that's what the Ocean Film Festival really has become. Uh, I suggested, it's like, hey, I'd like to host all shark films and then have an intelligent discussion afterwards. And there had never been a panel discussion here. And this is the 13th year, and it sells wow. out, and it sold out the first year, and 75 people got turned away, and wow. then we created Sharktober. <laughs> and so people could come see films and learn about uh, sharks, and not just sharks. So even though we're shark stewards and we work in protecting sharks, we're really about the ecosystem. Totally. So the, the Greater Farallon and Marine Sanctuary, I mean, this is not only one of the most productive and diverse places on the, in the ocean and the planet, but it's also probably the best managed. 
And so we have way to go, Maria. <laughs> yeah, well, we do. We have, we have good, good laws. We have strong enforcement. Yeah. We have people who care. We're always working and advocating and watching. And we don't want oil in our national marine sanctuaries. That's being proposed or considered. Mm -hmm. yeah. We're not going to let that happen. Um, you know, with, you fight so hard to protect something, you want to hang on to it <laughs> and you want it to keep getting better. And so that's a big part of our mission. And that's through education. And in some cases, that's actually bringing people to the islands or out into the Gulf, seeing whales, seeing seabirds, seeing mola mola, all the crazy things of the ocean. People see it, and if you see it, you want to love it and protect it. Totally. And not everybody can get in the water with a white shark, or nor do they really want to. <laughs> that's right. I enjoy it, but uh -huh. cautiously. Uh, so I don't do that. I don't lead shark tours. I don't take people underwater. I take my own photography, my own films. I love to be in the water with sharks, but that's not my thing. It's really about, I impress upon people. Sharks are one important part of the ecosystem. They're not the only thing here. And matter of fact, you're rarely going to see one, but you're going to see so many cool pinnipeds and birds, you'll never forget it. It's life-changing. Fantastic. And uh, I really wished uh, we were working but unable to attend the Shark Film Festival this year, so we're going to have to come back, David, because I heard it was just absolutely spectacular, and we did get to see near misses on the first day of the festival, which uh, right. I was really glad to, to see. But uh, Maria, I wanted to ask you about, about how we're doing nationally on coastal and ocean management. Uh, the National Marine Sanctuary System is a very special part of our land management protocol for the United States. Um, I think it's part of the Department of Interior, is it not? Or are you in commerce? We're in the Department of Commerce. You're in the Department of wow. Commerce under, under NOAA. So it's a little bit of an odd spot, but it makes sense. I, I'm a huge fan of NOAA. The best scientists in the federal government, I think, are NOAA scientists. No offense to Department of Energy guys. Yeah, NASA might be uh, not Well, I think NOAA really does such They're great work. They're superb. They, are they really superb. do great work. And how, uh, how long have you been the superintendent, and what are the challenges of managing a national marine sanctuary? That 3,000, was it 5,000 square acres? 3,000. 3,000 square miles. Square 3, miles. 100 square miles it's big uh, yes it is big and that can be a challenge um, but I am so fortunate to work in a great community and it's people like David McGuire and shark stewards um, that really make my job easier that we have a great group of volunteers um, with our organization with other organizations um, that help they monitor the sanctuary there are citizen scientists there are eyes and ears to let us know what's going on so we can respond. Mm -hmm. uh, they also um, are very interested in getting the word out and educating our youth, our, our future leaders, about the importance of the marine environment. And that also helps because sometimes it's really hard to get new regulations passed that yeah. need to be passed. But having that public support, that's what gives us the power I to get move you. forward. What, what's the history of the uh, National Marine Sanctuary out there? When, did, when was it established? Uh, the Marine Sanctuary was established in 1981, and it was because of a grassroots effort. It was local concerned citizens um, about oil drilling. They mm. were planning on putting um, oil platforms off of San Francisco and um, north up in Sonoma County. And these citizens banded together. They made T-shirts and banners and um, called for it to be a national marine sanctuary. And... Um, and Congress listened. That's fantastic. The administration listened, and in 1981, it became a sanctuary. So broadly speaking, uh, for the 
uh, audience out there uh, tell us in the in a national marine sanctuary um, it's not really a wilderness area per se it, what is the relationship between science access and recreation and commercial activities in a national marine sanctuary what can you do there yeah, that's a really good question and sometimes the word sanctuary can mean lots of different things to different mm -hmm. people um, the national marine sanctuary program is the only comprehensive management of our marine areas in the United States. Mm. So um, it allows, uh, we allow multiple use. So there yeah. are commercial activities that can occur, recreational activities, but our primary objective is resource protection. Okay. And that's in the act. So that's great. other activities can occur as long as the resources are protected. Wow. And I was, you know, we're from Austin, Texas, and have worked historically on the Atlantic seaboard in Florida, North Carolina, Texas coast, that kind of thing. And coming out to the very powerful Pacific Ocean and these huge areas. And we went out to the Channel Islands National Park, and these are just extraordinary areas. And I have to say that it's, it's, it's just remarkable, the, the, the biology of these areas, the power of these areas. I mean, what a thrill it must be to to work, David, in that or to manage that kind of thing must be a thrill. Oh, it is. It is a challenge, and it is, oh, I love my job. I love... Do you ever get in? Do you go in? Do you dive? Do I dive? Yeah. I have gotten into the sanctuary, and I have dove at the Farallon Islands, and I have been told I would be nominated for the Darwin Award. <laughs> <laughs> you get to go out with a good diver like David. Yeah. So, you know, can I just add to that? Yeah. Um, I grew up in Southern California, and so my sanctuary experience was in the Channel Islands. And I was a kid in Santa Barbara in 1969. I was really little, and there was an oil spill. Familiar. And there were seabirds that are oiled, and people, I was one of those kids holding a sign. Maybe this is what started me as an activist. It must have been. And we were outraged. <laughs> and that's what started the first National Marine Sanctuary on the West Coast in Monterey. Right. Was First that, one was um, Channel Islands. Cha Channel and then Islands. Us. That's right. Sorry. Yep. <laughs> of is that Both the Amico Cadez spill in 1969 off the coast? Is that the right boat it was, name? Is that wrong? I can't remember. I think it was a big spell. It was a rig, and I don't recall the oh, name okay. actually. Okay. It was sorry. an oil rig. It wasn't a ship. Oh, okay. And it was devastating. It had a big impression upon me and, and America. And at any rate, so now we have Monterey, which is contiguous. It actually connects to the Golden Gate almost, right? And then the Greater Fairlands, and the Greater Fairlands kind of embraces the Cordell Bank National Marine Sanctuary. I mean, so we had these four incredible federally protected areas. In addition, the state of California, under the Marine Protected Area Network, we have 16% of our state waters in no-take zones or marine conservation areas. Wow. So and that includes right contiguous with the sanctuary, including the Farallon Islands. So we have areas out there that are fully protected and managed around them in large areas, as well as no-take reserves, which is really, it's been demonstrated, the best kind of management are when you have protected areas contiguous to each other. Bigger is better. Yeah. And then you have areas that are no-take reserves where they can replenish the areas that aren't as uh, heavily restricted. And I'll, uh, I think it's fascinating to see all of this infrastructure that has been built in place. I mean, this is government infrastructure that we're talking about here. And I wonder, and I, I ask, since the establishment, and, and David, you, you probably, you've been diving off the coast of California basically your whole life. Pretty much. What's changed? I've seen a big decline 
uh, really? particularly in pelagic fish. Uh, I grew up with sharks, and blue sharks in particular. Blue sharks now 20 million a year in the trade. They're the most heavily traded and killed large species of shark. Wow. And that's because we've overfished the big uh, oceanic white tips, uh, the hammerhead sharks. All of these big sharks are getting fished out. Uh, and so I, I've seen a large decline in, in sharks. However, I've seen an increase in white sharks uh, because they were fished after Jaws. And I grew up, I was in high school during Jaws, and I went surfing the next day, and I liked it because there were fewer people in the water. <laughs> but it created this backlash, this vendetta. There were trophy killing. There was vendetta killing. There was a commercial fishery right here in San Francisco that really impacted that population. And even though we have a large aggregation, it's not that large. It numbers, I mean, it's... It's debatable how many, but somewhere from several hundred to 1,500 wow, in that, the entire West Coast population, Northeast Pacific. That small. So it's very small, and it's recovering, but it takes sometimes 30 to 50 years for a population of sharks to recover after being reduced. So now we're seeing, almost 50 years later, not quite, we're seeing a lot of juvenile and young white sharks out of Southern California, and I'm seeing, I'm going diving next week with some students in Catalina Island, and we go looking for white sharks to swim with. Uh, not deliberately, but you know, we yeah. go to the areas where they've been seen, but we also go to look for soup fin sharks, leopard sharks, uh, blue sharks, and to film and just to, to see. So I, I've seen a dramatic decline. Angel sharks were fished out off our coastline. Those fisheries both collapsed. Thresher sharks, when I was going to college at UC Santa Barbara, that fishery was already on the decline. It got closed completely, and then it's just been reopened. So the wow. fish are smaller and not as abundant. Uh, you know, the jury remains to be seen what, if that population is fully recovered. But on the plus side, we're seeing bony fish, which are much more uh, able to, to recover in a short population because they have hundreds of millions of eggs. So we're seeing in these marine protected areas, like the Channel Islands, for example, mm -hmm. some of these MPAs have been place for 10 years, the state bodies. We're seeing a spillover effect and an increase in, in the areas outside, and that's been demonstrated scientifically. Fishermen are fishing the line. Lobster down there were completely overfished. It was shut down commercially. Now, fishermen are grabbing these big lobsters because, again, they can recover quite quickly. They have a high reproductive capacity, which sharks don't. Mm -hmm. The marine mammals are coming back. I mean, we thought sea otters, the southern sea otters, were yeah. extirpated, and it turns out there's a population of Big Sur, and now there's about 3,000. Wow. And slowly coming back. I mean, and especially the elephant seals and some of these other marine okay. mammals, fur seals that were, again, bottlenecked, almost hunted out completely, are now coming back to healthy levels. And in some cases, like the California sea lion, since 1972, yeah. I, I, there's almost too many of them. You know, you're seeing them starve, you're seeing disease in the population, and again, that's a, in a sense, that's a good sign, but also it shows there's a little bit of an imbalance in the ecosystem. It's, it's great to hear that, that there's been this kind of success. It's, an, it's, it's uneven. I think we, we all know as human beings, our capacity to, to exploit natural resources is pretty unlimited these days in the technology, especially in the fishing industry. We can find every one of them if we want. We can capture them all. And wildlife management really is about people management at the end of the day. And I've always thought if you just get out of the way and leave them alone, believe me, there will be lots of whatever it is you, would, you want. That's why there were millions and millions of salmon on the West Coast of the United States before we started messing around with the whole thing. 
Um, but it, it, and that's the challenge, I think, of the job in the sanctuary and in the advocacy work, David, that you're doing is you really have to get into people's head here to make this happen. And uh, and I guess part of that is the inspiration that comes from engaging people in the environment. Right. I mean, you've got to get them out there. You've got to get them in the water. You have to connect them to the creatures. You have to inspire something. Yeah, and that's why the San Francisco International Ocean Film Festival is such a great event because it provides an avenue to reach a large population and to inspire them about the ocean. They can see these amazing places around the world and see what people are doing. Um, that individuals, children, students, um, divers, boaters, they can all do something positive to the ocean. So it's, it's a motivator. And then being able to connect with um, local groups in the community, such as David's, is another opportunity for them to get engaged. And I think we should uh, say now that uh, uh, you guys are sponsors of uh, the film festival. Is that right? Yep. Yep. The the National Marine Sanctuary Program and NOAA, um, we've been long-term sponsors of the film festival because we really believe in its mission. I think that is so cool and just such a, a solid investment in uh, what we were, what we've been talking about on all of our shows from the festival. It's just the, the optimism, the positive energy to respond to what I think is just behind all of this, which is climate change. You know, it is, I think really, really profound. Well, it's great to have Maria Brown, superintendent of the greater Fairlawns national Marine sanctuary. And, uh, uh, God, in my brain is and and David McGuire, uh, the executive director of uh, uh, Shark Stewards, uh, two great guests here at the International Ocean Film Festival. And thank you so much to both of you for taking time to share what you're doing with our listeners. Thank you. Thank you. Could I just add one little? Yes, thing please that do. Maria alluded to it. Jump but, in. Uh, we had a film in the festival about the Beach Watch program, and it was produced by Noah and MJ Schramm, who was on the screening committee with me at the Ocean Film Festival, <laughs> uh, was the director of the film. It's a great film, and it's about a citizen science program. And it's about people who have been engaging. Uh, they've been on the beaches observing uh, looking at wildlife, looking at human behavior, documenting and collecting data for 25 years. 25 years. It's incredible. So they adopt these beaches. They engage with the, the, the people who are acting on the beach. Maybe they're fishing in the wrong area. They're collecting data. It's an invaluable resource, but it also gets people into our sanctuary, onto our coastline, bringing kids down. And that's only going to increase our capacity to, to love it and protect it. So it's a great program. Yeah, I've, I've, that, that's I'm outstanding. And, you know, David, the, the work that you're doing with Shark Stewards, getting the kids, I mean, I, w- during the, your uh, panel, I saw probably, I don't know, five young people come in dressed in some sort of <laughs> shark costuming, and they're here supporting the film festival. Yeah. And, I mean, the energy, these are young people who are super motivated, yeah, I mean that's the future right there. I mean that's these will these will be the people that will be you know carrying us forward. Another really great thing about the Ocean Film Festival in San Francisco is uh, the youth program. So the first two days we bring in kids from the San Francisco Unified School District for free. Fifteen hundred kids or so every single year. 
Some of these, these are underserved youth. They've never been to the bay. They've never been in the ocean. It blows their mind. They have no idea that the plastic they use, the straw, can end up in a seagull or a sea turtle's nose. It's a huge impact, and it really excites them. And it's, for me, it's really invigorating and satisfying. And then we have a student film co- competition as well. So if Sunday mornings, these yep. kids from all over the world, not just locally, but kids from Pakistan, Turkey, it's incredible to watch their yeah. talent and they come here and they show their work and then they come back with the message like, look at this ocean awareness event. The energy is incredible, right? This is the biggest ocean film festival in North America. I think the world, it certainly has the best buzz and, and it keeps growing and getting better every year. And if you get those kids out there, that's our hope for the ocean. Yeah, and I, I'll tell you, we are really looking forward to the Student Film Festival tomorrow, and I'm, we're hoping to corral a group of these young filmmakers uh, yeah. to talk about what they're seeing and what they want us to know up here in the upper echelons of the population that we're missing. Uh, they always tell us the truth, right, the kids? They don't let you get away with much. Um, but, I, I, David, I guess I'm glad you extended this because I really had a couple other things I wanted to ask. and. I've been really impressed by the emotional energy of the film festival. And we cover scientific conferences and work with scientists and engineers all the time. This is a very different way of understanding ocean space and ocean values is through film and through art. And, and I can t- and being in California too, and the level of commitment in the community to the issues is also impressive. I'm wondering when you travel around the world, you're going to Sri Lanka next, you work around the world on shark, uh, conservation. What are you seeing in other communities around the planet? Is it, I mean, California seems to me a very high watermark in terms of ocean conservancy thinking. Is that, what, to help us out? It is, but we are also highly diverse and a large population. And even here in San Francisco, there are populations or cultures that have no knowledge or no experience of the ocean. So we see that on a micro scale here. You know, the majority is definitely embracing the ocean and loving it, surfing or paddling. But, you know, we worked in Texas. We did a shark fin band there. We worked with fishermen who get it because they're connected to the sea and they realize what a waste it is to kill a shark for shark fin only or to overfish sharks. Um, A lot of people who are at the inland a little bit are unaware. They have no idea. They have the bad misconception that sharks are dangerous or they're villains or they eat people. So there's a lot of that ignorance to overcome. Um, If we're talking about Southeast Asia, that's a whole other issue. A lot of it is subsistence hand-to-mouth. Many of these people, they either have to fish because of need or a lack of alternative livelihood. And then there's the greed factor. So a lot of this is driven by greed, When it's particularly when we're talking about sea turtle eggs, pangolin on the land, shark fins. There's such high value that people are coming in who will pay because they know that they can make a lot of money, and they're offering more money than a person would normally get for a product, and which in the end is really putting the nail in their economic coffin because they're destroying the, their food bank, their ecosystem that they rely on. So it's, it's a little bit, the, a lot of the people, for example, in Malaysia are, are sea gypsies. These people are born on boats, yeah. they die on boats. They understand the ocean better than anybody else. They are so connected to it, and they realize the resources are disappearing, but they have no voice at all. So we've done a film series called Borneo from Below. Uh, we've worked on a couple different film projects trying to show the government, but also show the world that, hey, Malaysia, 
One, you're t treating your populace really bad. You're not taking care of your people. You're not educating your girls. Uh, you're not bringing jobs that are sustainable. Right. And embarrassing, embarrassment sometimes works on yeah. an international scale. Um, and these people really need alternative livelihoods. Otherwise, they're going to just keep going and, and just eating the last fish. So it really is different. The, the, the growth of population in that part of the world is almost exponential, and most of them rely on the ocean for their protein. Right. So it's a larger scale issue, yeah. and this is why I'm going to CITES. I mean, we need some international right. trade sanctions. Yeah. So there's no market. You cut off the market. Right. Because that profit motive, you know, when I saw earlier this year, there's sort of a celebrated tuna uh, uh, auction in, in Tokyo. Two million dollars. Right. The two million dollar fish. Crazy. If there, you know, if you can get a million dollars or typically a couple hundred thousand or five hundred thousand for a single animal, uh, you realize you've set in motion a set of incentives that virtually guarantees you're going to get them all because of the. It, these are this negative feedback. Yeah, yeah it's, I mean, it's, it's just it's scary. The, the, the economy goes up, the more rare they become. Right. So that's why we need to educate consumers. I mean, we shouldn't be eating bluefin tuna. They're going extinct. And, and we have the wherewithal and the ability, particularly since the major consumers are highly sophisticated, developed nations, mm -hmm. primarily Japan yep. and here in the U.S. Yep. So, you know, if we can intervene... And there are great programs, and part of it too is bad to eat big tuna because they bioaccumulate neurotoxins like mercury right. organic toxins. But you have to work on an international fisheries level. You have to have enforcement. I just talked to somebody from the Coast Guard today. You can have all the laws you in the yeah. world, but if you don't have somebody to enforce them and yeah. enact them, you, it's it's useless. So it really is multi-tiered, and we rely on management, we rely on enforcement, and we rely on education and educated consumers keep doing the good work keep coming to the film festival uh last question favorite film of the festival maria did you get to see any of it or you've been working what did you like oh i loved the film 700 sharks cool. i highly recommend people seeing it we're going to host a screening. <laughs> <laughs> and David, what about you? What's your, oh top, what's your top couple of it's films? It's like asking you... me what my favorite shark is. Yeah, right. <laughs> I, well, I've seen almost all of them being on the screening committee. Uh, I think that one of the most influential films I really like, it's feature length. Uh, it's called Lobster Wars. And oh, it talks about international dispute over lobsters on the east coast of North America between Canada, and it shows some of the livelihoods and the transgenerational dependency and reliance and love of the ocean and yeah. the changing times and changing economic forces. It really explains as a metaphor for what's happening in the rest of the ocean on an even larger scale. It's a great film. I can't wait to see and that. And it doesn't have a shark in it. I circled that <laughs> one when we were looking at the program. Yeah, that uh, one's circled. That is an absolute uh, winner. We just had on the program uh, Monday last week a, a, a professor emeritus of lobsters from the University of Massachusetts Amherst and University of Maine uh, Bedford, who's been studying that fishery his entire life and let me tell you there's a lot to know about the northeast lobster fishery and how climate changes and so i really was gonna i'm really looking forward to seeing hearing from a scientist and then looking at it from an artistic perspective from a filmmaker i can't wait to see it great yeah, yeah that's a great one all right well let's uh let's call this interview done <laughs> officially you. with a little bonus material. maria brown and david mcguire national marine sanctuary and uh shark stewards uh let us know come on you got to tell us where to find you on the internet and all that good stuff so david if people are interested in your organization how do they find you what do they do 
sharkstewards.org and Shark Stewards everything, Instagram, Facebook, LinkedIn, whatever's left, Twitter. <laughs> we're all Shark Stewards. Great. And Maria, what about you? What do we, how do we learn about the Fair, Greater Fairlands? Um, you learn about us through fairlands.noaa.gov and Fairlands is F-A-R-A-L-L-O-N-E-S. <laughs> Good <laughs> Thank job. Thank you so much. They're also Good linked job. to my website. <laughs> right, and linked to your website. Thanks, you guys.